Good morning. This is WMWM 91.7 Salem, and you're listening to Soundplay, a new radio show that plays student audio work of all genres that were composed in classes across the university here at Salem State. Um, I'm Tanya Rodrigue. I'm a professor in the English department, and I assign a bunch of audio projects in my undergraduate and graduate writing courses. So a lot of the work played on this show will be from students in my undergrad and grad classes, but you'll also hear work from courses across the disciplines, hopefully in in um, upcoming shows, particularly next semester. So I have a co-host here, Matt. So do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Matt Eldar. I'm going into my junior year here at Salem State uh, in the graph design program. Uh, I'm also a professional photographer working out of the Salem area, and I run a photography business, Bastet Photography, with my brilliantly talented partner and wife, Emily. Uh, you can find our work and more info at bestetphotography.com. Great. So I'm really excited to play these amazing audio pieces from six SSU alum on today's show. Um, a lot of these folks are really talented composers who took a graduate writing course with me, a graduate digital writing course, um, a couple of years back. The student work that will be played here responds to a really bare-boned, barely structured assignment. Um, all I did was I simply asked students to choose a visual and use it in some way, shape, or form, like for inspiration or for invention or for interpretation, to create an audio project in any genre. I also provided a really structured assignment, but actually no one took me up on that challenge. They all cho chose to do their own thing. And this was a really special class. Um, it began just like any other class, but then it morphed into this incredible experience wherein students first became skilled audio composers, and then we all joined together as a band of writers. So toward the end of the class and then deep into the following summer, many of us collaborated in writing a scholarly article that centered around their audio projects. Our article, which is called Navigating the Soundscape, Composing with Audio, um, and it's published in a journal called Kairos, in the most um, simple way, um, it works to explain what audio composers should consider when composing a piece. Um, I'm very proud to say that many teachers and professors across the country use our article to teach undergraduate and graduate students how to compose with sound. These students were really inspiring to me when I had them, and they continue to inspire me as a teacher. So without further ado, let's take a listen to their work. Um, first up is Kate Arts. Kate is a PhD student and writing instructor at UMass Amherst. Her audio drama, The Conversation, was inspired by a quilted art piece by Tracy Emin and aims to explore how an audience responds to qualities of voice and sound to create a narrative when given only one side of a conversation between two people. So here's Kate's piece.
Hi, Mom. Good. Pretty good, I guess. Oh, he did? That's great. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. No, I'm fine. It's just... I don't know. No, it's not that. It's just... Tracy. I just don't really know what to do about her anymore, you know? I just don't understand her. I don't know how she's gotten to be this kind of girl. I never imagined. No, Mom, I know. That's not what I mean. You haven't seen her, Mom. Ever since the beginning of the school year, she's been different. I don't know. Well, like a few nights ago, it was Wednesday, and she had school the next morning, and at 9 o'clock at night, she just strolls out the door without a word. But you didn't see her, Mom. She went out like a streetwalker, alone, no friends to pick her up, just walked right out wearing next to nothing. I couldn't believe it. <sighs> That's not the same. I never... I always called to... Okay, well, I do not expect to be a perfect role model, believe me, but I... Maybe, but I do expect to die with some dignity, not with my brains all split up on the pavement like that girl of 17. 17, Mom, almost Tracy's same age. Attacked on the street because she attracted the wrong kind of attention. Well, that's what they say. It was different then. It's not the same. No, I don't remember. <sighs> I just... I know it doesn't have to be like this. I see other girls and their mothers. It doesn't have to be a war. Yeah. I just keep thinking of when she was six and obsessed with those flowers in the yard. She'd bring me some every day and was so proud. She just seemed so happy and so filled with love to the end of time, you know? And I think, how can this be that girl? Oh, I know. Haven't I changed? Do you know I switched all the lights in the house to 40-watt bulbs because the harsh LEDs were making the lines around my eyes stand out? I know, it's embarrassing, it's completely ridiculous, but there I was, wandering the house, changing all the bulbs like an idiot. No, not really. Yeah. I know you're right.
I just miss her, and I'm scared. We used to be close. It seemed like there was so much time, and now there's not, and I want it back. I don't want to lose her completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, Mom, you know I wasn't. I always needed to know you were there, though. That was the only way I could... Yeah. Uh-huh. I suppose so. Yeah. Okay, Mom. Thanks. Um, I actually have to get going. I'm going out to run some errands, and then I have to pick Frank up at 5. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Call me later, okay? I love you. Bye. So that was Kate Arts, The Conversation. We just have a couple of messages before we continue. Next, we have Megan Grandmont. Megan is an English teacher at Newburyport High School. She graduated from SSU in 2016 with a master's in English and in teaching. Night Visions was inspired by Megan's own lifelong interest in dreams and dream interpretation. And she uses sound to represent the intrusion of dreams on the main character's waking life. This fiction audio drama features Megan and her husband, actor Paul Melendi, performing the two roles. Night Visions, an audio drama, with Paul Melendi as man and Megan Grandmont as woman. Written, directed, and produced by Megan Grandmont. Hey, I'm home. Hmm. Oh, hey. I fell asleep. <laughs> hey, you're watching Inception again? Haven't you seen this movie about a hundred times? It's only good the first time, you know. Oh, that is so not true. I may have seen it a hundred times, but the ending never gets less mysterious to me. Is he back in the real world, or is he only dreaming? You know? Yeah, but by now you must have a theory. Well, I guess, if you forced me to choose, I'd say he's still dreaming. I don't think he ever gets to wake up and go home. Yeah. That reminds me, I think I was having that dream again. Which one? Uh, you know, the, the one where I lose all my fingers. You know, I'm in the car driving home. From where I'm not sure, I pull into the driveway, and suddenly I lose control of the car, I crash into the garage door, and when I come to, I look down at my hands, that's when I realize that somehow in the accident, all my fingers are just gone.
What do you think it means? Did you get any painting done today? N no, I... Listen, what, what, what do you think that dream means? I've had it three, three times this month alone. Because my dream dictionary says that fingers are... Uh, oh god, what was it? Uh, expressions of emotions and intent. Do you think that's true? So you didn't do any painting today. What did you do instead? Just watch Inception 12 more times? A dream within a dream? Actually, uh, before that I watched Eternal Sunshine, but you're missing the point. This matters to me. I really feel like figuring this dream out would... Well, I feel like it would unlock something for me. It would unlock something for you? That is such bullshit. You sit around on your ass all day. You haven't even tried to make any art in three months. Three months. Because what? Because of some dream? Let me let you in on a little secret. Dreams are not meaningful. They're not your brain trying to tell you something. They're just neurons firing randomly away while you sleep. You think this shit is profound? Let me see. Wait, no, put that down. March 27th. What I can remember, she died in a boat at sea. I paid for the funeral or coffin. I smelled her pillow to try to remember what she smelled like. You killed me off? Nice, really nice. March 29th. But I didn't end up doing those things. I never saw the cat at all, and the dogs didn't seem hungry. The last image I remember is of more shelves of books somehow outside and under the house. They were almost impossible to access. Well, that's just crazy. Dogs are always hungry. Please stop. July 14th. Dreamt I was like three or four months pregnant. Spent the whole dream protectively cupping my belly with my hands. Think I may have actually been doing this while asleep, too. Uh-oh. There's something you need to tell me? How can you find this meaningful? What? what? I said, how can you find this shit meaningful? It's just... Nonsense. Neurological noise. I don't know. I... They feel real to me. Sometimes realer than the shitty life in our shitty apartment where I sit alone every day, agonizing over the art that I can't make. Baby, dreams don't help pay the bills. I know. I know. Listen, uh, I have something to, to tell you. What is it? What's wrong? I've been experiencing some, uh, hallucinations over the past few months. Uh, images from my dreams haunting me in the middle of the day. I thought I was going crazy, but I went to the doctor, and the real reason might be even worse. If that's... Possible. 
Uh, turns out I have macular degeneration. Going blind. Slowly. Makes no sense because no one in my family has had this that I know of, and very rare in men of my age, but here we are. Oh my god. I'm... I'm so... I'm so sorry. Yeah. Me too. Hey, uh, I'm pretty wiped. I think I'm gonna go to bed. Can we talk more about this in the morning? Yeah, of course. dreams? Yeah, I did. What did you dream about? Do you want to write it in your journal? You know, I think I'm going to go paint it. I'll go make some coffee. No. So again, that was Megan Grandmont with Night Visions. Um, next, we have Dana Hashem. Dana lives with her partner, Owen Kelly, and two dogs in the North Shore. And at the time of this recording, she was teaching high school English in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Dana loves to journal, and her idea for this audio piece was to recreate the journal entries using narration and recording. To preserve memories in her physical journal, Dana often slides photos, ticket stubs, or other memories into the pages. And in order to mimic this, her audio piece features recorded conversations or sounds embedded throughout each journal entry. As Dana was recording, her partner Owen featured heavily in her days, and he offered to contribute his own journal entries and recorded sound assets to the composition. The result is a snapshot of life in the Kelly Hashem household over the course of a week. Dana's audio journal is called A Week in March. A Week in March by Dana and Owen Kelly. Monday, March 23rd, 2015. It was a crazy weekend. Full of good things, but Owen and I were both exhausted when the alarm went off this morning. Although the dogs have been so good recently, no one has woken us up in the middle of the night for a while, and everyone's up for a good snuggle in the morning. 
Miss L was out at Lawrence today, so I took her classes for the day. She only has one group of freshmen, mercifully, so it wasn't that bad. Mixed feeling. It was actually really nice to spend some time talking with the seniors about college plans and how their years are going. I am consistently amazed at how many hidden talents they have that only come out in classroom downtime or spontaneous conversation. It was a good, long day. Thursday, March 26, 2015. I woke up this morning after three alarms went off. I'm just awful at waking up early. It's pretty much a requirement of the new job. I also cannot get out the door without forgetting at least three things. Actually, you know what? I'm going to grab that... Uh... Between that and my dogs, my days don't start very quick at all. Uh, see ya. I don't know if I will, but we'll see. Today at the job site, we were adding an in-law apartment to a house. Yeah, it's good. Most of the framers only speak Portuguese, so I have to give the head guy all the directions at once. I got out to take the dogs to an actual dog park at lunch, which was really nice. Tonight we went out for Thai food with Mom and Nadia. What are you recording? Everything you say. <gasps> Seriously? It's for my audience. Hi, kids. I'm Dana's mom. I'm her sister. <laughs> Who's listening? <laughs> Who's in there? <laughs> Which, as usual, is a ton of fun. Tuesday, March 24th, 2015. This week is going to be crazy. Owen and I both woke up early this morning so we could get a head start on the day and so I could do some homework before leaving for Lawrence. We actually woke up before the dogs, which does not happen often. It was definitely a tea morning. Alright, love you. I love you. Have a good day. Have a good day. Miss Longo was out today, and her classes are pretty autonomous, so I was actually able to do some of my homework during the periods I covered, which was a huge help. I go back and forth on how I feel about the Lawrence hallways. Sometimes the din and shuffle of students strikes me as vital and lively and full of laughter, and then sometimes it feels claustrophobic, and I just want to hear silence for a few minutes. Most times, though, when the bell rings at the end of the day, I am super ready to get home. Hi, guys. Does that mean I get to do a bag? Owen got out of work early today and cleaned the house, which was an awesome surprise. Thank you for cleaning the house. You're welcome. I didn't even clean the whole thing, just mainly the kitchen area. It's been a disaster area this semester. Things have been so busy, so it's been like living in a war zone. But it's nice to have it a little bit cleaner than usual. And all my spring plants are starting to grow. Look, my little lilies are starting to grow. Hey. So, all good things. Saturday, March 28th, 2015. Today was a work day, even though it was a Saturday. We have an apartment building that needs a new handyman and a lot of cleanup from the winter. One of the tenants left a whole bunch of crap in the snow while they were moving out. I had to run to a local hardware store to get some replacement windows. Rook discovered popcorn machines and was quite taken with them. I love it when stores let us bring dogs inside. 
I tried to spend a chunk of the afternoon training him. I got some funny looks walking around with a clicker and a treat bag, but we were really trying to get Rook ready for summertime. When I got home, Rook and Busa were real happy to see each other and spent the night playing bitey face. Dan and I drank whiskey and chatted until we couldn't stay awake. Wednesday, March 25th, 2015. Wednesday, hump day. I was a little late getting out the door this morning, so my whole day felt like I was running five to ten minutes behind. Ah, running late. Love you. Students caught me humming again today, which seems to be a source of endless amusement for everyone. We were also able to get a birthday dinner with Ransom and Casey in Portsmouth, which was the best. Are you guys trying to start it with drinks? Oh, right. Right. Are you guys going to get drinks? We got to hear about their trip to New Zealand, talk about our dogs, eat half-priced sushi. It was glorious. Oh, my goodness. Did you tell Dana about our wild animal experience? Really? You saw more than one? Weirdly, the best part of the day was the car ride up to see them with Owen. We've gotten so little time together recently that it was fun to just sit in the car, catch up, and hang out. So again, that was Dana Hashem's A Week in March. So we have to stop here for a couple of messages, and then we'll be right back. Up next, we have Michael Rand. Michael is a writer of short fiction and creative nonfiction. Professionally, he is a freelance business writer and content marketer. He lives in Beverly, Massachusetts with his wife, Sarah. Michael is uh, Michael produced the audio oral history Hit and Run with the help of his brother Chris. In this piece, Chris tells the story of what ensued after he was run over uh, by a car in a Boston crosswalk. After recording the oral history, Mike edited the piece and interwove it with music for dramatic effect. I was out at some restaurant, I don't remember which one, and I was with some friends of mine sitting in a booth, and I looked down from me and I saw this woman, and um, she was sort of slyly looking back at me and smiling. And in my drunken state, I was like, all right, here we go, you know. Uh, actually just came over to that booth that I was in she was like kind of bold you know and like she had this sort of like 
sexy, like I've got a secret, like I've got a plan for you kind of thing going on. And all my friends left and I decided to stay. We um, probably talked and stuff. Don't really remember. I kind of got to know her the next day more so because I did go home with her and the next day we were both completely hungover and we ended up spending the whole day in bed literally until like six o'clock at night. She was a law student. Her mother was a lawyer. I think she just kind of did what I did and was like, I got to go to school or something and she decided to do that. And the thing about Sophia was that like, she was really sweet and charming. I felt like I was in on something, you know, because I don't think she was that way with most people. You know, when she was around other people, she was really condescending. And like she had this, I'm a rich girl and you're not as good as me attitude. I remember like she didn't have a very good relationship with her mother. Her mom would, like, get angry at her whenever something good would happen in her life. When she graduated, it was, like, a big deal for her. And um, I came over, and she was on the phone with her mom, and she was in tears because her mom wasn't, like, celebrating the fact that she graduated. And she was crying, and I think, like, I reached out to her, and I kind of, like, you know, touched her emotionally. You know, and I, I needed that role. You know, I really, like, looked for that role as, like, the person who can, like, reassure people. And, like, I got to do that with her. So, we continued to date, and we were basically, like, drinking buddies, you know? But we do, like, little relationship kind of stuff. Like, she'd make dinner, you know? And like I said, we go skiing. We go to, like, formal functions for school together, which was fun. Like, I got to do all that stuff that, like, if I were just on my own, I would never get to do, you know? I would never be like, hey, let's go skiing. <laughs> We were out and like I, I invited some of my like my cousin and some of her friends to come out with us and meet her. And we were at this bar and right away I could tell my cousin and her friends just thought she was the most awful person ever because she was like I said, really condescending. The tap was broken at the bar. So like nobody could get any beer. And everybody at the bar was kinda like joking around about it, like how much it sucked and so on. But she was like really rude to the bartender about it, demanding free drinks because she has to wait. And I was so embarrassed by it. So I broke up with her right in that bar. I said, I don't want to be around. I don't want to be with somebody who treats other people like that. So when she was gone, it just kind of, I was like, well, I'm glad I don't have to be embarrassed anymore. Um, but she would call me every Friday. Every Friday night around 2 a.m. when the bars let out, she would be really, really drunk. She'd want me to come over, and I would say no, and then she would say that she's going to go get in her car and drive home. And of course, I was out drinking, so I was up at 2 a.m., you know. <laughs> And then one night I uh, was walking home from a bar. I was crossing the street, I was really drunk. 
everything went black. I don't. I didn't know what happened. And I woke up the next day and I was in the hospital. And my leg, my left leg was completely shattered. My tibia and fibia were shattered. And somebody told me that I had gotten hit by a car. And that the person drove away. So it was a hit and run. I just started crying. The next few days I was basically just learning how to walk again. It was painful and awful and like horrifying and I couldn't walk up the stairs. I couldn't walk up one step. And I would be in physical therapy for like six months after that. So anyway, I got out of the hospital, I was at my sister's house, nobody knew who hit me with their car. There was a detective on my case, but he had no leads. So I did all this stuff, like I started a Facebook group because I wanted to hire, hire a private detective, so I was raising money on Facebook, and people were sending me checks and stuff. But then, one morning, I was staying at my uh, sister's house, uh, sleeping on the couch, just sort of recovering. You know, I wasn't really moving around much. My cell phone rang. And I answered it, and it was the detective on my case. So I answered it, and he was like, I've got good news. I think we found the person who hit you with their car. And he said, but I think you might know the person. He said, do you know a Sophia Ling?" And sure enough, she was the one who hit me with the car. For all she knew, I was dead. And she drove off. And she's a lawyer. She was studying law. So she came up with this bullshit report where she was like, I didn't know I hit somebody. I thought something fell out of the car in front of me. And then this whole long process with her insurance company where they kept putting off paying for my medical bills when obviously she was at fault. It dragged out for months and months and months. Finally, they came through. I got all my medical bills paid. I had a nice windfall. I got a bunch of money. I've not spoken to her. I've not had any real desire to speak to her. Although when I was still dealing with the trauma, like I had fantasies about running into her and uh, her just like pouring herself out and me just being like, yeah, I'm fine, you know. You should just live with what you did. But uh, I think we were still connected on like Facebook. Like, this is the age of Facebook where somebody can nearly kill you and you can like see their wedding photos, you know? And that's what happened. I'd see her, like, wedding photos, and I'd just look at this guy she was marrying, and I was like, you poor bastard. I haven't really looked back. I don't think about it. Um, I've really learned to, like, discover myself and listen to myself and take pride in what I do. And take pride in myself. And not seek out these people who fulfill 
my desires, you know, like these feelings like I can only be validated through sex. I can only be validated by other people depending on me. You know, and that's how it was with Sophia. We had certain needs based on our lack of personal value and we filled them. Ultimately, I think they were shallow and they didn't hold up, at least for me. I'll never really know for her. I mean, I know she called me every Friday night drunk. I think she was desperate for something, something I gave her, but I know that I'm better off. Now I'm married and I've got a beautiful, soon to be five year old son. I've got a job that I love. I love what I do. I feel good about myself every day. I love waking up every morning. Plenty of times I didn't want to do that, you know, drunk or not. You know, every day at work I was hiding at my desk. Every night I was just getting wasted so I wouldn't have to face anything and seeking out people like Sophia. So again, that was Mike Rand, Hit and Run. Up next, we have Julia Bennett. Julia is a master's student in rhetoric at Carnegie Mellon University. She decided to compose her audio project as an oral history of a story that's been in her family for years. In 1959, her grandmother was badly burned in a household accident and spent approximately a year recovering in the hospital. Julia's audio project compares two accounts of this story one from her mother, and one that was published in a local newspaper. Julia's piece is called Beneath the Ashes. Lynn Mann saves wife from death. Telegram News, January 26th, 1959. Wife burned badly, saved by husband. A West Lynn woman became a flaming torch at 4.30 p.m. yesterday when her bathrobe became ignited as she was removing a chicken from the oven. Mrs. Ronald L. Goodrow, 35 New Park Street, suffered first, second, and third degree burns and is on the danger list at Lynn Hospital. Mrs. Goodrow's life probably was saved by the presence of mind of her husband, who is in another room at the time of the event. Hearing her screams, he ran to the kitchen, and noticing her predicament, went to the bedroom for a blanket, which he quickly wrapped around her. Engine 7, under District Chief John R. Natalie, went to the house after the accident, but the fire damage was negligible. So what happened, Mom? Back in 1959, I would have been a year and a half old. I believe it was a Sunday, and my mother, who always cooked a big meal, and she was in the habit of leaving the oven door open. She would stand in front of it to stay warm, and back then, it was an old oven, and the flame was kind of open. And on this particular Sunday, though, 
She was cooking her usual Sunday dinner. My father was in the living room watching TV. And I guess her, her dress got caught on the flame. And as she was screaming, my father had no idea what was going on. He just assumed that perhaps somebody broke into the house and was attacking her. And when he got out in the kitchen, he saw she was ablaze and she was just bouncing off the walls in the kitchen. She, her, she was on fire. So he did run into the bedroom, grabbed a blanket, had to actually chase her around the kitchen, wrapped her up in the blanket, put the flames out, and of course the fire department came and uh, she was rushed to the hospital and they did not expect her to survive at all because especially almost 60 years ago, these kind of burns, they didn't have the know-how to keep somebody alive with, with these type burns. And so my father was at the hospital waiting to find out if she was going to survive or not and he was pacing up and down in the hallway and he was blowing on his hands and he, he was kind of in shock himself. He didn't even realize that he was burnt from putting her out. So the nurse came out and grabbed him and they had to um, they had to treat him too for burns on his hands and on his arms. And I guess my mother was in the hospital for probably a year. Um, I have an older brother, and he would have been a year older than me. So my father kept my brother, and I was too young, so my aunt took me. And she didn't have any children at the time. So when my mother got out of the hospital, um, of course, it was time for me to come home. And I heard that when my mother and my father went to get me from my aunt, my aunt was crying because she wanted to keep me, but she knew she couldn't. I thought my aunt was my mother, so I was crying. I was afraid to go. And my mother was crying because I wouldn't go to her. <laughs> and um, again, my mother, for years, has said, Dr. Vallis, if it was not for him, she never would have survived this. And I have to say, he did such a wonderful job on her that her burns, you can see where, from um, parts of her buttocks or whatever, where they, where they did most of the skin graphing, where they took the skin from, and where she was burned, you would hardly even know. Um, you would really have to look to see where she was, was burnt. Um, he did such an incredible job. And, um, and of course, that made the front page of the Lynn Telegram uh, big headline and was the main story on the front page January 26, 1959. Again, that was Julia Bennett, um, Beneath the Ashes. So we just have a couple of messages before we continue. Our last audio project is titled Laika, and it was composed by M.P. Carver. M.P. is a poet in Salem. Uh, her chapbook, Sela Ki Morfa, was published in 2015 by Incessant Pipe Printworks. M.P. chose the topic after reading an article about Laika, uh, the first dog to orbit the Earth. M.P. was struck by the story and had to know if Laika had a window to look back at the Earth. She found out 
that a window had been installed at the last minute, even though the original plans hadn't called for it, and the whole project could have been ruined. In the end, though, it was a different engineering error that killed Leica within hours. MP still wonders what Leica felt, and if it was cruel to give her that window. On November 3rd, 1957, from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan, Laika was launched into space. As Kazenko remembers it, he and his engineers worked against time and risked to the mission installing a window for Laika. Yazdowski took her home to play with his children four days before the launch. The next day, he surgically installed the biometric sensors for pulse, breathing, and blood pressure, then set Laika in her hermetic compartment inside Sputnik 2. Three days later, closing the hatch, the technicians reportedly kissed her nose and wished her bon voyage. Deorbiting technology had not yet been developed. Most tractable Moscow stray, they called her Laika, called her Krujavka, called her Lemonchik, Juka, Little Curly, Little Buck, Little Lemon, Barker, took in the view before Gagarin, before Glenn, before Tereshkova, before Ride. of weightlessness, Leica's heart rate returned to pre-launch levels. She died five to seven hours into the flight, after orbiting the Earth about four times. Sputnik 2 made over 2,500 more orbits before burning up on re-entry five months later. That first time, the whole world fit in Laika's little window, made by Gazenko and the guilt-ridden engineers, their applied joke, Schrodinger or something, and that disappointing punchline. We didn't learn enough from the mission to justify the death of the dog.
heartbeat orbiting history, little 13-pound moon. Lega hit the horizon, dissipating a blaze. So again, that was MP Carver's Leica. So that's the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening. Please tune in December 12th at 10 a.m. for our third episode of Soundplay. Have a great day.